taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Welcome to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. Up to this point... Since the beginning of this show on July the 16th, we've talked to some of the great spiritual leaders of today in an attempt to wrap our minds around this concept of authenticity. And those discussions have led us to today. We want to go a little bit deeper into that topic by discovering what it is that the authentic self is and what blocks us from activating it. The foundation of today's discussion will be my book, Restoring My Soul, a workbook for finding and living the authentic self. So let's get right to it. Let's talk about how it is that a person develops what, what I call an identity. An identity might be different from the authentic self, although we can't identify with the authentic self. An identity is not the same as an authentic self, necessarily. One of the most mysterious and beautiful stories in the Bible is the story of Adam and Eve when uh, they have eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they are hiding in the garden because they realize that they're naked. They're hiding from the presence of God. So they they continue to hide until God comes looking for them, and God says, you know, where are you? And they say, well, we hid from you because we realized we were naked. And he says, who told you you were naked? That's a profound and metaphorical uh, incident that is described in the Bible that tells us about identity. Once they didn't know they were naked, and then they did. Something changed in their identity. What happened as a result of this is that God gave them some skins to wear clothes. And that paradigm has been going on and on and on and on since the beginning of time. We have been being given clothes, or as I would put it, a mask costume by our parents. How does this happen? Well, the first thing we have to understand is that we, that as infants and on up through toddlerhood, we understand nonverbal cues much more than we understand verbal cues. We understand that what's going on in a facial expression means something, what's going on in the body language means something, all the stuff that's going on in the room that, has, that carries import that has not been addressed verbally, that stuff we get. But we don't get the verbal cues. So you put that together with the fact that we're also looking for mirrors. As infants, we want to know who we are. Now, if you believe in reincarnation, what that means is you've got one soul, many lives, and so that soul comes back into another life and wants to say, well, who am I now? If you don't believe in reincarnation, the same thing occurs. The child wants to know who he or she is. Um, if you've ever seen an, a two-month-old look at their hands, stare at their hand, and it's as if they're going, wow, man, that's fine. I can use that thing. And after a while, they begin to grasp things. They might reach out and grasp a rattle, and, of course, it goes right into their mouths. And 
you might assume from this that they're going, oh, okay, well, this rattle is also me. That hand is me, and this rattle is also me. Now, since we can't read the mind of an infant, we can't say for sure that that's happening, but we do know that if between infancy and toddlerhood and on up through five-year-olds, children are trying to figure out who they are. They're looking for mirrors. And so they might look in, if you put that together with the fact that they are looking for nonverbal, they are understanding nonverbal cues, what you get is that they can look for nonverbal cues as their mirror. Then add to that the fact that parents are also often passing on old unresolved issues. How does that happen? Well, let's look for an example. If, say, uh, I'm a parent that cannot admit to being wrong. I can't say I was wrong. Why? Because that brings up too much shame for me. For whatever reason, I just can't say I was wrong. So where does all that wrongness go? It goes somewhere else. I have to project it out onto someone else or something else. And if a child comes into the world, very often what happens with parents is they project all that unresolved stuff onto their children. So what's happening there is that the, chi the child is looking up into the face of this parent, and the parent is saying, I can't be wrong. And the child is saying, okay, I'll be wrong for her because you know what? That's who I am. And so. That's how it begins. But it's more than just, as I just said, it's more than just what the parent is projecting onto the child. It's also what the child is perceiving and agreeing to in some kind of unconscious, pre-verbal way. What's happening is the child knows, knows with that instinctive kind of knowing that, we, that an animal has, that they cannot survive without those parents. So they have to stay attached to those parents. Not only do they have to stay attached, but they love those parents. In fact, as a matter of fact, they somewhat worship those parents. So they are desperately needy of that form of attachment. So if the parent comes in and says to the child, non-verbally of course, that, oh, okay, you carry my wrongness for me because I can't carry it, then the child says, oh, okay, this is how I'm going to stay attached to you. This is how I'm going to stay alive. This is how I'm going to... Uh, be a meaningful person in your life. So it's a real important to the child to really fulfill the wishes of the parent. What happens so many times is the parent is not saying, be who you are and let me watch that grow. The parent is saying, be who I need you to be because that's what I need. We all know also that we come from a society that adds to that message of don't be who you are, be who we need you to be. Be something the collective can understand. Be something that isn't so different that we can live with it. Be something that isn't so um, scary that we can live with it. So what we've got is this, we add the society to that mix, and what we've got is uh, an additional onus to be something than, uh, other than what we are. Then you add dysfunction to the mix, and some, the something that children are often asked to be is far afield authentic self. So we've got the nonverbal cues that are being received. It's, it's kind of like this. If a child is um, living in a home where there's a lot of unresolved issues floating around in the air, so to speak, the child is like a little sponge, and they just kind of flirt that stuff right up, 
and take it in. And what do they do when they take it in? It's a form of magical thinking. They say, oh, well, this is me, and it must be me because to have it not be me is way too scary. I don't want it to not be me because then I can't control it. But if I pretend to myself that it's me, then I can do something about it. So if you need me to be bad, okay, I can be bad. If you need me to be the clown and make you laugh, I can do that. If you need me to be superwoman and take care of all the things that you didn't take care of, I can do that. So you see, that's how that happens. We, we pretend to ourselves that we can do all kinds of things that maybe we really can't do, but we think we can. So quite often we come very close to it. It's important to understand how this came to be because in order to, under, in order to understand what the authentic self is, we have to understand what it is. It is not a role, mask, or a costume. It is not all the many ways that we pretend to ourselves to be something that we aren't. You know, many of us have to wear a name tag when we come into work at, uh, every day, and we put that name tag on, and we say, okay, this is who I am now. I'm a therapist. I'm Andrea Matthews, ex therapist extraordinaire. If you... If you Say to yourself, I am this name tag, then you're identifying with that name tag. And I promise you, if I said, I am a therapist and that's all I could ever be, and I went home to my family and I said, I'm a therapist here at home and I'm giving therapy to all you people, they would kick me out of my ear. So you see, I can't be a therapist all day every day. Not therapy is something I do. In the same way, I could choose to adapt my identity to something else beyond what I am. People come into my office all the time and they sit down and they say, I'm a caring person. I give to other people. I will give them the shirt off my back. But I just don't think much about myself. Well, that's just me. That's just who I am. My question is always, I'm not so sure. Is that who you really are? Or is that who you've lived out? Is that the identity that's become a pattern that's almost a caricature in terms of its uh, inability to express anything else besides that pattern? How deep do these identities go? Well, that has to do somewhat with the dysfunction we've come from. The deeper the dysfunction, the deeper the identity. So if I've come from a seriously dysfunctional home, I may be seriously uh, adaptable to that role to that mask, that costume that I'm going to put on. And so uh, it could be that I'm partially identified with the mask and costume. It could be that I'm totally identified with the mask and costume. Either way, what happens is there's a part of me that isn't associated with my authentic self. The authentic self, on the other hand, has been sent to its room, told to go away, told to stay in the closets of our lives. Why? because for it to come out would be objectionable to those people with whom we've made agreement that we're going to not be the authentic self. So in our, in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, in our everyday environment that we grow up in, we're being told, don't be who you are, be who we need you to be. That's real important for us to understand that we have that capacity to actually live out something that isn't who we really are. And we get our emotions attached to it. So it's almost like that identity, though it's just a mask and costume, takes on emotions, takes on thoughts, takes on self-talk, takes on ways of behaving, 
it takes on beliefs, and it, it defines itself in these very patterned beliefs, emotions, and thoughts and behaviors. So it's really important for us to understand that aspect of that, and that's why I've spent this first segment talking about um, what it means to be something other than the authentic self. If we look at what these false identities might look like, I've named several of them in the book, Storing My Soul. I've picked seven. And seven, uh, uh, these seven identities are not necessarily all the identities that you're going to read about and all the different books you can read about different identities. Uh, but they are what I think are the baseline. In other words, I think that if somebody, for example, is a people pleaser, then that's going to spring from one of these other seven identities. So that's the reason I wrote the book this way. We're going to start on some of these identities right now. The first one is uh, the scapegoat. And um, that one has to do with guilt, responsibility. And it comes from that parent we mentioned a little while ago, not to do any wrong. So we're going to talk some more about this identity and others right after the break. This is Andrea Matthews with Authentic Living. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Are you ready to crash through illusion, break through your personal barriers, and slay the internal nemesis of your dark side? TNT is here to awaken your soul and unravel the hidden messages of your unconscious mind. Discover your hidden treasure map and use TNT to find the tools you need to become your own demolition tech. Collapse the old and choose the new. It's Dynamite Awareness with TNT. Tracy Irons and Tracy McMahon every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network and visit us at www.dynamiteawareness.com. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Are you in need of a cosmic kick? Are you frustrated with your ability to move forward in all areas of your life and spiritual growth? Adrian Wentworth is a master at getting you unstuck. A fearless and grounded healer and teacher, Adrian covers subjects that few will touch and reveals the missing keys to your success. Be uplifted by the healing energies that flow through her as she shares her profound wisdom and helps you shift past your obstacles to create the life you long for. Listen to Cosmic Kick with Adrian Wentworth every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Network. 
Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, we're back with Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we're continuing our discussion about the authentic self, the mask possible to keep us from accessing our authenticity. We said before the break that it was important that we understand that we have a capacity to identify with something other than who we really are. That's the first and most primary understanding that we have to have in order to be able to get in touch with the authentic self. The second is we need to look at some of the identities and what what uh, faces they put on, what masks and costumes they wear. The first one, as I said before the break, is the scapegoat. The scapegoat is based on the old Hebrew archetype, that is, tying the sins of the community around the throat of the, nut, of the goat and sacrificing the goat. So the, the community might write all their sins down on a ribbon, tie that ribbon around the goat's neck, and either sacrifice the goat or send the goat off into the wilderness so that he can't ever return. Either way, the sins of the community are gone. Now, that was a, a, a ritual performed at certain times of the year so that the community could be then free of its sin. Well, that archetype can be carried on into the family dynamic. So, again, if I have a parent or both parents who, say, who cannot say, I was wrong, I made a mistake, I'm really going to take responsibility for that, because for whatever reason they have so much shame attached to being wrong that they just can't let themselves go there. And what happens is the child, as we said previously, might be able to pick up that identity. Now, that's not the only identity the child can pick up. There's several others, but the child might decide to pick up the scapegoat. How would a child make that decision? Well, of course, it isn't a conscious decision. That's the first thing we understand. These deals happen under the table. It's as if two people sit down under a table and uh, they say, well, here, listen, I want you to carry my guilt, and if you do, then, then I'll let you stay around close by. And the, and the other person says, oh, okay, that's what we'll do. We'll do that thing. And they stake on it. They made this agreement, and they're going to stick to it. So these agreements are not made uh, consciously. They're made under the ground. And so if I agree to be a scapegoat for somebody, it's probably because I have a natural capacity for empathy now talking about the authentic self. My authentic self has a natural capacity for empathy. Therefore, I can pick up other people's stuff and carry it around as if it's my own. Now, of course, I'm using my empathy in a way that's not very functional, but it's still empathy. So when we, when we look at these masks and costumes, what we have to do is look also at the strength behind the choice we made to become this so, okay, the scapegoat. Now, the scapegoat can be broken down into two different aspects. There's the scapegoat priest and the scapegoat black sheep. The scapegoat priest is the person who feels very bad on the inside but uh, acts very good on the outside, trying to compensate for that feeling of badness on the inside. So 
I'm going to go around doing good deeds. I'm going to go around feeling very guilty about uh, what other people decide to do. I'm going to say I'm sorry when I run into a chair. I'm going to say I'm sorry when I, somebody else does something wrong. I'm going to be the one who's always carrying the guilt and the responsibility in the family. The scapegoat can also be the scapegoat black sheep. Black sheep is literally the black sheep of the family. This is the child who says, okay, I'll take the guilt and responsibility, and now I'm going to act it out. I'm going to be guilty and responsible for that guilt. So nobody else has to do it. So this is the, the guy or girl who grows up to get in trouble with the law and does embarrassing things for the family and, and essentially says, I'm the bad guy for the family. I think my, one of my theories is that part of our jail systems are filled up with people who have identified with the black sheep role. There's others that are filled up with bully or perpetrator, which we'll talk about too. But the black sheep is, I'm a bad guy. I used to visit prisons, and uh, I used to hear people literally say to me, now, Ms. Matthews, you don't want to hang out with me because I'm a bad guy. They would literally sneak to do something good for someone in the same way that good people sneak to do something bad. So they had so identified with this idea that they were a bad guy that that's how they saw themselves and they acted it out. Okay, that's the scapegoat. The victim, we're familiar with the victim. We hear this about uh, this topic on TV and radio. The victim is a person who basically feels that life is way hard and that you really are always fighting with City Hall and that you're never going to win, so give it up. You might as well, you know, not try to win. You're just not going to. It's a, uh, it sometimes is mixed with other identities, but it's the thought of you just can't win. People are against you. Things are against you. You're just not going to win. And so everything sort of spells the word victim. Every situation spells the word victim. If I get myself literally in a, victim, in a situation in which I'm victimized, then I can say, see, here it is again. I'm still the victim. Okay, that's a, a, an important component of this because we need to know that because we put on these identities when we were seeking survival, we still attach that identity to the notion of survival. So we believe that to take off this identity would be tantamount to death. So we don't want to take it off. So even if it's not really working real well for us, we resist taking it off. We're going to talk about that some more uh, in the next segment of the show. There's another identity, which I call the party dudette. Some people call this Peter Pan. Some people call it the clown. Um, it's got a dimension of always being the one to have the party. I'm having a good time. Life's a party. I don't want to take responsibility for anything. Don't ask me to pay bills or commit to a relationship. I'm busy having a party. Then we've got the superhero. The superhero is... Basically what it says, somebody who goes to all kinds of lengths to rescue other people. Um, you can, this can be the family member who's always there in the middle of the night when you need somebody to go to. If, they, if you're in trouble with the law, they'll get you out. If you're in trouble with your finances, they'll pay your bills. Um, that kind of thing. You get the, the idea of the, of the superhero. And then we've got the superwoman. Now, the superwoman can also be a superman, but very often superhero heroes, the super identity, I should say, takes the role of the superhero when it's a male uh, and the superwoman when it's a female. However, there are supermen out there, so I want to clarify that. Um, superwoman is the person who leaps tall buildings in a single bound and runs faster than a speeding bullet. 
This is a person who can get it all done yesterday, and the boss knows that. So everything gets dumped on this person. Why? Because they're going to get it done yesterday. This person, by the time I see them, is very often exhausted, sick, has high blood pressure, has arthritis and all kinds of other stress-related diseases, and doesn't understand why everybody keeps dumping stuff on them. But it's because they've put out that information that, hey, I can handle it, bring it on. There's the bully perpetrator. Um, the bully is a person who has either been bullied or knows, uh, has been taught how to bully. Now, if I've been bullied, one of the ways I might respond to that is by saying, nobody can hurt me if I learn how to bully like the bully bullied me. I can learn how to do that, and then nobody will hurt me. Everybody will feel helpless around me the way I feel helpless my bully. Okay, that's one way to, to form the uh, bully perpetrator identity. The other way is to be someone who uh, we call in the South spoiled. This person is spoiled. They are, they are someone who is um, allowed, empowered with a lot of yeses. Not a lot of yeses, all yeses. They are told that they basically told or nonverbally communicated with that they can have whatever they want. And if they're not getting it, all they have to do is be loud enough, manipulative enough, strong enough, physical enough, violent enough to get what they want, and they will. And so that's their a sense of empowerment. I've seen children in family systems that I've worked with where that member of the family, that child, has all of the power. That child is a bully. And why? Because that's what's being supported in this family system. That's what he's being told, basically, to do. Be the bully. We'll let you have all the power. So that's the bully perpetrator. And, of course, we know that the bully perpetrator also populates our jails. Um, this is a person who harms other people. And so uh, we, we know that this identity can carry off into actions that are uh, actually put us behind bars. The runaway is the last of the seven that I've worked on in this book. The runaway identity has two different ways of, of, of approaching life. The first of those is that they can run off to Australia or Ethiopia or some far distant place, I guess today it would be Beijing, to, uh, to get away from family shame, from problems, from a situation that's uncomfortable, from anything that reminds them of any dynamic they don't want to be involved in. They run, literally. They're seeking what we call a geographic cure. Is it working? No, because they get in another situation, they have to run from that too. However, this, this pattern seems to work for them because they can just keep bouncing as far as they need to bounce to get away from whatever they need to get away from. There's another way that they can live out, uh, somebody can live out the runaway identity, and that is by emotional distance. I can be psychically and emotionally distant from anybody I choose to be psychically and emotionally distant from. I can refuse to call. I can refuse to answer calls. I can not talk. I can, uh, if you have an emotion and you want to talk to me about it, I can say, just get over it. I don't want to hear about that. Um, the, another role that says this, of course, is the uh, party doodad or party dude who says, I can't, I don't want to feel emotions. So, you know, come on, life's a party. We're not going there. So, what we need to know about the runaway is that they're not going to experience anything that makes them feel in any way uncomfortable in a way they don't want to feel uncomfortable. 
So the runaway run. So those are the seven identities um, that I've covered in the book. There's a section of the book specifically dedicate, dedicated to helping you discover your particular role. It's very important to discover because, as I said, in order for us to understand who the authentic self is, we have to understand who it is. And this is Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We'll be back and talk some more. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. The self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. web at skillsusa.org. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, and I'm back to talk some more about Restoring My Soul, a workbook for finding and living the authentic self. 
We have uh, discovered in the first segment that we have the capacity as human beings to identify with something other than who we are. And in the second segment, we talked about the fact that we have the, the ability to discover exactly what this mask and costume looks like that we donned early in life to help us survive. And now we're going to talk just a little bit about what do we do with this information. Now that we know that we can identify with something other than the authentic self, and we know maybe a little bit more about who this mask and costume is, what do we do with it? Well, the first thing that we want to do is get rid of it. The first thing that we do when we discover that there's a mask and costume that's in operation in our lives that has basically controlled our lives, we want to get rid of it. But as John Borsinko said in her show, that process begins as a slow uptake. We begin to become aware, and we begin to be able to discern the fine distinctions between authenticity and not authenticity. So let's look a little bit at that. Um, we all know, we've heard, we've read, we've seen on TV of situations in which, let's say, a woman or a man marries an alcoholic, divorces that alcoholic, and marries another alcoholic, divorces that alcoholic, and marries another alcoholic. What's going on here? What's going on is that the person has identified themselves with a role that is attracted to the alcoholic. Why? Because there's unfinished business inside. You see, when we fall in love, we don't fall in love by a conscious choice. We don't go out one day and say, oh, I think I'll fall in love today. No, it happens unconsciously. It comes up into our awareness. And so when it comes, it comes attached to all manner of unresolved issues. So very often what we find is that we're falling in love with an unresolved issue. Why are we doing that? Because the psyche is always headed for wholeness. Psyche wants wholeness. And in order for it to get wholeness, it has to bring this conflict up into our awareness so that we can now resolve it. So if I fall in love with an alcoholic, and then I fall in love with an alcoholic, and then I fall in love with an alcoholic, it's time for me to start looking at what is going on here? There must be something I'm identifying with that makes me attracted to this unresolved issue. That's part of the work of beginning to deal with the authentic self. We hold on to these identities as long as they work for us, but one day, somewhere along the way, they stop working, and we have to figure out what's next. The way Neil Donald Walsh says it, who am I now, and who am I now, and who am I now? So that's the important thing that we are, are about the business of today. Who am I now, above and beyond this role? We have to understand that we're not going to take this role off. We're not going to just rip off the mask and costume and say, okay, I'm done with that. It's not going to happen. Why? Because we will resist it. Because we have a psychological attachment to the onset of this role, this mask and costume, which came about at the point when we still needed our parents to survive. So now this idea, this role, this mask, this costume is attached that survival motif, and we fear that, as I said earlier, to take it off is tantamount to death. So we don't want to just rip it off. What we want to do is not say no to the role. We want to say yes to authenticity, and we want to say it so many ways in so many areas of our lives that now we are, it's kind of like a snake, you know, molting out of the skin. You see it grows a new snake, it grows a new skin before it can take off the old skin. 
that's what we have to do. We have to be able to identify with the yes, with the authentic self inside of us. How do we do that? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to look at our feelings. This is a uh, touchy area. We've been taught by society from time immemorial not to go there. Don't talk about your feelings. Let's get rational. Feelings are not rational. We have to be, you know, rational. We have to be on top of things. We have to be, uh, not be showing our emotions. And if we're not showing them, we're usually not knowing them. So we, we've been taught that archetypally for centuries. But also, we are taught that in our churches very often, that feelings can't be trusted, but the rules, the dogma, the have-tos, the shoulds, the ought-tos, those can be trusted. And even in New Age, New Thought, very often we hear that the ego and its emotions cannot be trusted. Now, what I will say to you is that I agree with tons and tons of what New Age and New Thought has to say. I'm very online with that. However, I think we get a little skewed when we start saying we have to get rid of negative emotions or get rid of the ego. If we get rid of the ego, what we're doing is getting rid of the part of ourselves that is uh, the communicator the dialoguer between the external world and the internal world. We need that part of us. We don't need it to identify with something other than what it is, but we do need it. So, and it's the same with emotions. <clears throat> we typically look at uh, positive emotions and go, so, yeah, those are great, but we don't express them too much. Somebody might think we're silly. Negative emotions, what we consider to be negative emotions, well, we don't want to express those at all because everybody doesn't, nobody likes those. Nobody likes anger, nobody likes fear, nobody likes shame, nobody likes to talk about these things. We don't want to know about these things. We don't certainly want to know that they're inside of us. But in order for us to get in touch with the authentic self, we have to begin to be able to access these feelings. The more we shut them out, the more we're shutting out an opportunity to get to the authentic self. Our emotions are not necessarily authentic, but they are a pathway to the authentic self. We have to sit with them. We have to listen to them. We have to love them. We have to say, I'm willing to hear from you. You know why? Because every one of our emotions has a message in it. It has a message that tells us something about us. It doesn't tell us about what's outside of us, although that's what we tend to want to think. It tells us about what's inside of us. Let's take, for example, anger. Anger is one of the most difficult emotions we have to feel. And so what we tend to think, in the South particularly, we just don't feel anger down here. We just don't allow it, especially if you're a woman. Well, that's really not true. We do feel it. We just repress it. So what happens is we try to um, send it away, push it down. And what happens is we put up with intolerable stuff for a period of time, and then it blows. And then we go, oh, my gosh, why did I say all that stuff? Well, let me take that back. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry. And, uh, or we get sarcastic, passive-aggressive, uh, say little nasty things, and then say, oh, I was just joking. It's okay. Uh, so that's really not an effective way of dealing with anger either. What anger is, the way I look at anger, is it's part of the way I build my house, my home here on planet Earth, the home where I go. Just be with me, to find peace with myself, the place where I can sit by the hearth of me and just really rapture in that sense of myself. In order to build that, I have to have certain tools. Every one of my emotions is a tool that I can use to help me build that out. How does that work? Well, let's take anger again. 
if I am, if I if I am trying to build that house, and I've got nails, I've got a hammer, I've got saw, I've got lots of different tools to use. Anger is the hammer. There's not a nail that's going in that wall without a hammer. And so I have to use my anger to help me build my home. I could take that same hammer and beat somebody over the head with it, but of course then my home's not being built. So what we want to do is learn how to use anger, learn to put it under the disposal of the authentic self. What is the message of my anger? Talk about that for a second. How can I, how can I translate the language of feelings into a language I can understand? Well, it looks like this. For example, let's say I'm mad at Joe Blow in the office. Joe Blow is standing around talking all day with uh, the boss, and he's impressing the boss with all his fine stories, and I'm having to do all of Joe Blow's work. I'm really mad about that, and I'm really sick and tired of it, but I know that if I go reporting to the boss, I'm going to get in trouble because the boss really likes Joe Blow. Now, I'm really mad. Now, I can go home and vent to, you know, family members about this and vent about it and vent about it and vent about it, but until I listen to myself, I'm not going to get the message. So let's say I listen to myself and to go, okay, what is it that's really bothering me? Well, you know what it is? I hate this job anyway. I hate this job. I hate getting up in the morning to come to this job. And now here I am having to do somebody else's work too. So now what has my anger done? It's put me in touch with the possibility that perhaps I need to seek a new direction. See, now it's led me to more. So my emotions are messages to me, for me, from me. They're not meant for me to go hammer Joe Blow, although I may have to talk, have a talk with Joe Blow at some point. That's also possible. But the, the main gist of the emotion is not an external uh, derivative. It's about being able to process internally what's going on with me. So the next step in discovering the authentic self is that I have to have a point of reference with regard to when I'm being authentic and when I'm being in the role of the mask costume. That means that two things have to happen. I have to believe that there actually exists an authentic self inside of me, and I have to be able to clearly distinguish that self from the role. So let's talk a minute about whether or not you believe that there's actually an authentic self inside of you. I have many clients who come in to see me, and they'll say very often this phrase, I don't like that about me. Now, you can take that for a surface value and go, okay, this person doesn't like what they're doing. Or you can look a little deeper. You can say, hmm, who is the I that isn't liking the me? Who is the I that doesn't like, and who is the me that is doing something the I doesn't like? You see, we've already got two different voices. One is the me that's doing something, and one is the I that doesn't like it. Now, both of those two voices could be coming from the role. I have to say that. But, but listening and paying attention is what gives us the discernment to discover what it is that's being said inside of me. What am I saying? Another thing uh, that happens very often is we do things that upset us, or we do things that are funny. I got an email just the, uh, the other day from my daughter who went on with this thing that she was saying that I thought was very funny, and she said, well, where did that come from? She got through. Well, that's what we do. Where does that stuff come from? We don't know. Does it come from the role, the master costume? Does it come from the authentic self? What I would say is the more we say, I don't know, the more out of touch we are with the authentic self. 
I don't know what's going on inside me, then that's, a, that's an issue I need to look at. I need to say to myself, well, okay, I don't know. Let's go on a journey of discovery. Let me find out. Sometimes that's a process of trial and error. Sometimes it's just uh, an acceptance of who I really am. We're going to come back and talk about this some more after the break. This is Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It's a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Over there? Over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Hi, we're back with Authentic Living. We've been talking about the authentic self from the perspective of the book Restoring My Soul, a workbook for finding and living the authentic self. 
by your host, Andrea Matthews. We talked in the first segment about uh, how the fact that we can establish an identity separate and distinct from uh, the authentic self. We talked in the second segment about the fact that uh, these identities could take on certain specific characteristics. And in the third segment, we began the process of understanding how one begins to get in touch with the authentic self. Okay, let's talk about that some more. Let's consider how we can image the authentic self. Think about your favorite place. My favorite place is the beach. Take me to a beach anywhere and I'm happy. I'm peaceful. I can, you know, see the ocean. I hear the sounds. I really believe that this place has given me peace. And then I head back home for my vacation and I say, well, I have to get back to real life. What's happened here? What's happened is I have given the beach my power to access my peace. My peace is in me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My joy is in me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I don't usually access it. Why? Because I have a belief system that says that the real world involves lots of work and struggle and suffering and uh, financial issues and all those things that worry us, whereas the other world doesn't. That other world of the vacation doesn't have any of that stuff. Therefore, I will allow myself to feel peace here, but nowhere else. Let's look at that paradigm a little bit deeper. Consider the tree. If you look at the tree above ground, let's say it's a big oak tree. It can be blowing in the wind. Sometimes the wind can blow very, very hard, and the branches are whipping around in the wind. Sometimes people build tree houses in, those, in, that, in that oak tree and put nails in the branches. Sometimes there's little cancers that grow around the nails. Sometimes people carve their initials in this tree. Sometimes lightning strikes and branches fall down. Sometimes branches just fall down by themselves. Seasons come, seasons go. This tree's having a hard life, isn't it? Underground, where the roots are, everything's doing fine. The roots of the tree take in energy and send it to the tree. Take in energy and send it to the tree. Take in energy and send it to the tree. All day, every day. That's all they do. That sounds like a pretty peaceful job to me. I don't know how it really is for a tree, and I'm sure if there's a scientist listening to this show, he's still falling in his armpit at the moment, but the point is that the tree is an analogy that talks to us about the authentic self. The authentic self is the roots of you. The roots of you are peaceful. They're always peaceful. It's the part of you that has never been wounded. That's right. There's a part of you that has never been wounded. I want you to just sit try to take that idea in for a minute. Because we think of ourselves as the tree above ground, where the wounds are apparent. But if there's another part underground that maybe is not so apparent to us, hasn't been wounded, what would it be like to access that part of it? And that's what authentic, accessing the authentic self is all about. You can access the authentic self through several different ways, through accessing something of peace. Sometimes meditation gets us peace. When you've reached peace, you've reached the center of your being. That is the authentic self. When you've reached something that gives you really intense joy, you have reached the authentic self. When you have found a true desire, 
you have reached the authentic self. Now, what is the difference between a desire and a want or a compulsion? Well, you certainly can say, if I'm, an, if I'm an alcoholic and I say to myself, I need another drink, I want another drink, well, obviously that's a compulsion, not a desire. But a desire looks a little bit more like this. You know, when I teach workshops, very often I ask the people in the audience, if I could give you anything in the world you want right this minute, what would it be? And they very often say, I want to win the lottery. They get about 10 hands come up and say, yeah, I want to win the lottery. I go, okay, let's say you've just won the lottery. How much you need it to be? 10 million? 30 million? Okay, they go for the highest figure. Let's say 50 million. $50 million is now in your hand. I've just given you $50 million. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to get my son out of the hospital. I'm going to pay off my bills. I'm going to travel. I'm going to buy a new house. I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to do all these things. I say, okay, now you've done all those things. How do you feel? And they say, I feel like I've got some peace of mind. And I say, okay then. That was the desire. The desire was to have peace of mind. The lottery was just how you got there. We very often get wants and desires mixed up. So the lottery... Looks like what I want, but really, not what I want. What I really want is peace of mind. There's all kinds of ways to get peace of mind. So I have to consider what is a desire. Desires uh, are those lifelong inner urgings that say, oh, I want to be an artist so bad I can taste it. Oh, I've always wanted to do have a farm. I've always wanted to see the ocean. I've never seen it. These are longings. These are passionate longings. Or perhaps you have some mission in your life that you've never fulfilled that just aches to come out of you. That's a desire. When you activate that desire, you're activating the authentic self. So following your passion is definitely a way to follow the authentic self. So if we say my role gives me one set of feelings and my, my, my authentic self gives me a whole other set of feelings, now we're talking about something that we can understand. And we can get a dialogue going between the authentic self and the mask or co and costume or the role. And we can say, have the authentic self write a letter to the mask or costume. We can have the mask and costume write a story of its own life and have the authentic self write a story of its life. We can be able to compare those two and see what's going on that's different between the two. We can get an argument going where on one side of the page you write down all the things that the, uh, the mask and costume or role wants to say about a given scenario, and then listen deeper. Go deeper to something that feels more centered. and Listen to what that has to say and write all that down. See which one of those you believe because, you see, beliefs factor into this major in major ways. What I believe about life, about myself, about God, about all of that factors into how I see myself. And, and so I have to ask myself, what are my beliefs? Do I have any beliefs that doubly bind me? A double bind has been described as, um, you know, you're going down the highway and you're supposed to read the, the road signs because you're a good driver. So you look over at the road sign and that road sign says, do not read this sign under penalty of law. That's a double bind. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So... Our, double, our beliefs can be doubly binding for us. I can have a belief that says, I'm not worthy and I get XYZ job. Therefore, and I can't get XYZ job. Therefore, 
not ever going to be worthy. You see, that message can be responded to by self and itself. We need to understand new peace. This, all of this uh, information you can get online at my website, www.andreamatthewslp.com. Check into that site and order this book. Might be the step being stone for you to be able to authenticate your authentic self. This is Andrea Matthews, Authentic Living. Next week, to interview Darren Wiseman on self healing. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.